On your mark, ready, set, let's go. Dance floor pro, you know I know I go psycho when my new joint hit. Just can't say. All right, how's it going? How's it going? Welcome to another episode of Not Rocket Science, the podcast that talks about the intersectional relationship, about business culture. And technology, technologic. How we doing, everybody? How we doing? Hope you're doing well. We are all up in summer now. All up in it, like heading into the middle of it at this point. Not the beginning. Um, Pretty good. Laying low here in Brooklandia. Not the best place for summertime, I will say that kind of been muggy this week the humidity's been a little much a little much but i will take it over december january february march type weather any day of the week um okay let's get right into it so this week as i said i was laying low um definitely not the most productive week of my life Definitely not. And look, that's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to fall off the wagon every now and then. It's all good, baby. It's all good. But with me, what happened was, uh, yeah, Stranger Things came out. I talked about it last week. I don't know if I finished it by last week. I either finished it before I did the last episode or shortly after I finished the last episode. I can't remember at this point. But there's certain shows where, you know, I don't watch that many shows. I really don't. I watch um, really not a lot of TV. Every now and then I watch watch The Great British Bake Off. Love that. Love that. New season happening over in the UK. I think next month it starts and then it'll be on Netflix later on. I, I will watch every season of that show. Um, I went back and watched The Sopranos again, because it was like the 20 year anniversary, and it's one of the most amazing shows of all time, obviously, so I watched that, I rewatched Mad Men earlier this year, another amazing show, but like, as far as the new stuff, I'm not, I just, nothing really has inspired me. I hear good things about Euphoria, I might check that out, I don't know, um, but... I've never watched Ozarks. I've never watched a ton of those big Netflix shows. A lot of the recent HBO shows I haven't been watching. Everyone's watching Big Little Lies. Tried that. Hate it. Hate it. Terrible show. Terrible show. Monterey looks kind of meh. Everyone's wearing sweaters all the time. So no thank you, NorCal. 
It's a bunch of waspy yuppies who kill some scumbags and just wasp out over it um, when the guilt creeps in. That's all the show is. And then you got Meryl Streep playing some psychopath mother. It's I tried it. No good. No good. Can't watch it. Too annoying. Very annoying show. Um, so, yeah, I don't have anything. But Stranger Things got me. It got me a few years back. Um, I've been hooked ever since. And the crazy thing about it is it kind of stays with me. Like, I'll finish watching the season because it doesn't take that long. There are only eight episodes a season. It's Netflix. They get you through those pretty quickly. Um, but then it kind of stays with you. And then, like, the next week, the follow-up week after I'm done, I'm kind of just looking up every little thing I can about it, listening to podcast. I don't listen to Stranger Things podcasts all the time. But right after I watch the show, I'm all up in it. Um, and it makes me hate Netflix in a way, to be honest. I think Netflix, this whole like release the whole season thing, I don't like it. I do not like it. I, I am not disciplined enough to not binge watch it, but I don't want to binge watch it. So it puts me in a lose-lose scenario where I want to kind of savor it and spend maybe a month watching it or something instead of three days or whatever it winds up being. And then you gotta wait like a year and a half for the next season. It's so ridiculous. I do not like it. I think it works for most things because with most shows, people people's affinity towards most shows on Netflix just isn't that high. So the stakes of binge watching it don't really matter so much. So you just binge watch it, whatever. But with something like Stranger Things, I feel like you have to uh, protect your customer base from themselves. And I think Netflix, for its, like, premium, premium shows, they should do the HBO thing and release them as weekly episodes. I would rather watch one episode a week of Stranger Things and have it carry for two months than binge watch all at once. I really prefer that model. I don't know why uh, why Netflix is so gung-ho on this whole, like, release everything and then track how fast people binge it, blah, 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 blah. It's not healthy. It's not healthy to watch eight hours of... Netflix in a row it promotes that and it's like hundreds of people put their blood sweat and tears into filming a season of something where like two days into it being released they get hounded on Instagram and every social media channel saying one season four one season four I need more nasty ass consumers not understanding how long it takes to create something at that scale i don't think it's a positive thing for the audience i don't think it's a positive thing for the creators i think the uh instant gratification aspect from a viewing standpoint and a feedback standpoint in terms of like ratings is satisfying but that ha- that lasts for like a week. And now for the next year, for instance, with Stranger Things, the Duffer brothers are going to be hounded on all their social media channels about season four. For the next year. Let alone when it starts getting into the groove of like having the next season come out and all that hype that's going to come with that. So yeah, long story short, uh, not a fan of Netflix launching the whole season at once. 
I like the HBO way. Call me old school. One episode a week. Hey, it worked for Game of Thrones. It worked for Game of Thrones. No one was like asking HBO to, to release the entire Game of Thrones season at once. People like the week-by-week buildup and then going to the office the next week and chatting about it. You know, this, that slow build, I think it works. But just one person's opinion. But um, when it comes to Stranger Things... I was thinking more like, why am I so caught up in this? Why am I listening to nerdy-ass podcasts about it? Why am I looking up YouTube videos, learning about the making of? Why Why do I give a shit? I don't give a shit about this stuff for most uh, TV shows I watch. Why Stranger Things? So I was just trying to, in my head, kind of like reverse engineer why I care so much about it. And then see like what principles out of that are universable universally applicable to other mediums and not just something that's just stranger things focused so i keep going back to this i've mentioned this on the podcast so many times over and over and over again but like the key to success to me in almost anything that's creative almost anything is bringing something new but not too new to the table basically what i mean by that is anything that's like this level of a breakthrough as far as like hitting the cultural zeitgeist for the time being it's generally not something that is considered like bubblegum pop for example Something that's trying to be commercially successful could be commercially successful, no doubt. But it's not really going to be something that sticks, you know, something that's long-lasting and talked about in a favorable light for years to come. And generally, the hysteria, with one exception, the hysteria over it won't be as as rampant. The one, one exception being... um like 90s boy bands, their fans were obviously crazy, but that just has to do with the uh, target demographic. 11-year-old, 12-year-old girls are going to be crazy about, you know, the Backstreet Boys or, or Timberlake or whatever. It's just the nature of that demographic. But other than that, you're if you're just releasing something like the Transformers movies, like the Michael Bay ones, where you're just obviously trying to make something commercially successful or like the fast and furious movies for example sure they can be really successful but they're just not gonna be at the same level as far as hysteria as a stranger things or something that brings a fresher idea to the table um but to going back to what i was originally going to say it's like the formula for all this is having something familiar and something new and combining those two into some sort of hybrid music it's happened over and over and over again like when the breakthrough artist of a particular age comes out it's usually because they're bringing something new and old to the table perfect example of that would be when like edm was all the rage and really becoming um mainstream back around i'd say like it started I'd say it started around 2011-ish, somewhere in there. 
maybe into 2012, and then was full-blown by 2013. Um, you take Skrillex, right? What Skrillex did was bring something new, yet something familiar to the table on multiple levels. And that's why he broke out to become kind of, at the time, the poster boy of EDM. It's because on a mainstream, just casual fan level, what he did was he took some of the rhythmic stylings when it comes to like syncopated rhythms and some of the uh, chord progressions that he used and some of the melodies he used, he took from heavy metal and like emo, um, post-hardcore type of music because he was in a band called From First to Last that played Warp Tour before he was Skrillex and he was a really good drummer and he was a singer, but that kind of music, so not like pop punk Warp Tour, not like Paramore, but the more heavy stuff that you would get on Warp Tour, um, he took a lot of techniques from making that kind of music and applied it to electronic music. That's why his drums were crazier. That's why he his synths were louder and more like distorted guitars almost. The way he distorted his synths were you know, almost modeling um, electronic guitars in in a metal or post-hardcore band. He was doing a lot of borrowing from the hard rock genre and applying it to electronic music, which made it a little bit more palatable to a certain demographic that likes the hard rock stuff. But then on another level, if you were to flip it and look at electronic music fans... Before Skrillex got really popular, dubstep was already big on an underground level. Dubstep was blowing up. Dubstep came from Croydon, which is a part of South London, in the early-ish, like 2004-ish. That was when it was start, starting to pop up into 2007. And then, yeah, around starting around 2007, it started to blow up um, in the electronic music scene worldwide, 2006 maybe i don't know the dates exactly right but generally speaking um it was blowing up but it was different it was a lot more rooted in like reggae it had a lot more like uh the basses were more chilled out there were sub basses they wobbled but they weren't like these big stuff yet it was uh a lot more chilled out and kind of mellow but heavy but light kind of had this like world music reggae vibe to it with the sub um and then it slowly started creeping more to what skrillex eventually made with guys like rusco but point being it was still on the underground and still had a template more like reggae than hard rock um but then so skrillex took that same template uh, having your songs at 140 beats per minute, he had the same kind of basic drum patterns. But then he add all he added all these hard rock flourishes to his drums. He pumped up the snare drum and made it a lot fatter sounding through compression and equalization and um, reverb and distortion things like that. And he just kind of took the template that the underground dub stuff dubstep stuff was using and added all these bigger, louder, hard rock-rooted sounds to this electronic template. But And then the secret sauce with him was he was a master at also um, 
just sound design and building his own crazy transformer synths that uh, really took things to the next level. But the point being is he was taking elements that were familiar from multiple music scenes. On one level, the basic template of the tracks he was making was from that underground dubstep scene, that 140 BPM with like the... the like that pattern and then just took some of the drumming techniques and just the loudness and some of the harmonizations and melodies from the hard rock world and combined them together so for hard rock people it felt sort of familiar but different because this electronic stuff was brand new and on the uh, dubstep side People were used to those kinds of beats at that kind of uh, tempo with um, that kind of like rhythmic structure, but adding in all of these different kinds of melodies, different kinds of synth sounds that were really louder and more aggressive and little drum flourishes here and there that were not commonplace in dubstep music, but you can hear with music like Slipknot, for example, with the crazy double pedal bass drum with the like that stuff um sorry i'm just it's hard to explain without beatboxing it i guess but that's just one example and i think stranger things as a show touches up on that they go deep with the 80s nostalgia probably on a whole new level so it familiarizes people but building um a show around kids that are real kids and really translate on screen as kids but making this show more of an adult show and having the driving force behind the show almost in a way being synth music that is pretty 80s ish fits the time well but also uses some elements that uh are evolved from traditional 80s synth music Having that kind of be the backbone of the show, it creates a really interesting dynamic where everything's pretty familiar. You feel like you've kind of seen almost all of it on some level in your life, whether it's, you know, a kid next door from you that's a neighbor might remind you of one of the kids on the show to like, you know, if you grew up in the 80s, what going to the mall in the 80s is like and how they mimic that to a T on the show. Um, They really do a good job of giving you a ton of familiarity but also creating something that's individually unique and i've been watching like these youtube videos about it and how they really wanted child actors that were unique and came across as real kids not like these smooth child actors with stagecoach moms that have been like managing how they conduct themselves for years they didn't they didn't they weren't looking for that they wanted something authentic which is i think what people always want it's just like in places like hollywood it's really easy to dilute your authenticity to to feel like you have to play the game same way on instagram people fronting because they feel like they got to play the game to go from zero to one same way in the you know entrepreneur entrepreneurship space, everyone wants to peacock and pretend they're something they're not because that's what they feel like they have to do to go from zero to one because no one gives a shit 
about somebody that's at zero and then you know all these feelings of self-doubt and worthlessness and whatever creeps in so then you start to posture yourself a little bit and pretend to be something that you're not but in the real world professionals casting directors show creators they see through that bullshit and if their goal is to get something that's as authentic as possible you know that's what they're going to do and they turn to broadway because broadway a lot of these kids are come from broadway if you didn't know um a lot of the stranger things actors uh the girl that plays max dude that plays uh, lucas and dustin all three of them were broadway actors they all knew each other before they even got on stranger things but Broadway, man, it gives you that that real life shit, that experience that you you know you can't fake on a set. Um, you know you have to do two shows a day for your entire run. It can get brutal. You know I have a buddy of mine that just wrapped the show on Broadway right now, and he was telling me the last week of shows how much of a uh, how crazy it is and how draining it is. And um, when you're around Broadway actors, it doesn't feel as if the people that you're talking with are totally like removed from reality they feel still ingrained in reality i mean similar to how people just chalk up living in new york versus la and you know what the people are like and the differences you know in la hate to say it but the general sentiment is people you know have their head in the clouds and they're living in la la land that's why where the term la la land comes from whereas new york you know you have no choice but to kind of be real because everyone's kind of stepping on each other trying to get up the anthill um so you have no choice to be you know authentic if you come across as like a douchey fake tool in new york you're gonna probably get called out at some point for it just the way it is. I don't like I don't like to generalize too much, but I've interacted enough with actors to kind of feel that difference and I've been in LA enough compared to New York to kind of understand the baseline difference and there is definitely a difference, but don't want to get sidetracked too much on that. Um point being authenticity tends to work at scale every time. And the Duffer brothers, who created Stranger Things, knew that. Their casting director obviously knew that. And that's how they got this great chemistry with the actors, who are all really good. You know, all those kids are super talented, whether they were from Broadway or elsewhere. Uh, they're all pretty damn good. So that's like a major contributor to the show's success, along with the music that I was talking about before. If you don't know, the composers of the Stranger Things synthesizer based scores um there's two guys that go by the name of michael stein and kyle dixon they are in a synth wave band called survive and uh they used the duffer brothers used a survive track for the original trailer for stranger things in when they were pitching the show to get budget for uh, season one to get greenlit for season one basically they used a song from survive so then once they got greenlit they were like well, we might as well just ask them if they want to do the soundtrack which is very smart you don't see a lot of that um but i think it's interesting that they took a chance and it worked and how now because what they did is so unique getting a synth wave group to compose the scores now they have this very 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 distinct audio branding in a way if you play an 80 synth like a vintage moog or a vintage juno 
in a, a certain chord progression, it's like now the Stranger Things sound, which is hilarious because that kind of music's been around for almost 40, 50 years. But now it's the Stranger Things sound. So going left from center when it comes to your audio in the case of Stranger Things, you know, it's a smart move because you can get distinct brand recognition by accident which is the case here and i think that contributes a lot to it i think the title sequence also you know that's stephen king style title sequence um that they they actually ripped that off from uh, the stylings of it from i forget the guy's name but there's a famous title sequencer designer from the 80s that did like predator they did he did a ton of credit sequences from the 80s that were much more simplistic than the credits now and they hired an agency to kind of like mimic that style of like just the credits kind of animating and unfolding together as opposed to doing something elaborate and longer they wanted something short form because they know people might stick through the credit sequence or i'm sorry the title sequence if it's like 30 seconds 20 seconds long nobody's sticking through a minute to a minute and a half long title sequence like a lot of the shows now with the more elaborate sequences i heard that directly from the duffer brothers on a podcast so i know that's true um but yeah all this together plus the nostalgia factor you know 80s mall culture all that reminding people of better simpler times a tried and true method to getting people to like you whether it's in a TV show, movie, whether you're running for office, um, it works. Every politician, you know, they want to bring up the good old days. It is the oldest trick in the book when it comes to getting elected. But you got to combine that with bringing some new ideas to the table. So basically what I'm getting at is <clears throat> whether you're pursuing... Anything from a music project to a film to a fashion project to even a business, it's like really looking at how you position what your offering is, whether it's a service, whether it's some sort of content piece, what what have you, positioning it in a way that balances this idea of familiarity and newness slash freshness because it makes it really easy for an audience member, a customer, consumer to digest what it is you're offering. It's very easy for them to put it together. You know, even in a pitch room, it's like if you can explain what you're offering based on something historical, whether it's a different company, um, whether it's a different show, it might hurt in the sense that you it feels almost like you're just like lazily combining two things together so you want to you want to steer clear of coming across like that but if you just want to use it to help further explain the value of what you're putting together you know if you're creating some sort of horror film and you want to explain it through like what the shining for example did that was so unique and so mind-blowing i don't think that hurts at all people whether they want to admit it or not like being familiarized with something based on their past experiences. They do. It just makes it easier. It makes them more comfortable. And I mean, you can maybe offer something completely new, and maybe it's mind-blowing, but I feel like we got 7 billion people on this earth. 
a lot of ideas on some level have already been thought of and executed on. They just have. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying don't, if you have some brand new idea, you've never seen anything like it. I'm not saying don't go for that. Uh, it could work. I'm just saying from what I've seen, something new plus something familiar generally wins. Some of the best hit songs the past 20 years, Hey Ya, perfect example, Hey Ya, was when Hey Ya came out by Outkast, Andre 3000, back in 2003, it was the only song I could ever think of in history of listening to the radio that was the number one song on pop stations, rock stations, and hip-hop stations all at the same time because... It's the type of music you've heard before. You know, you've heard people strumming an acoustic guitar. You've heard the beat before. Nothing mind-blowing there, but the way it all kind of comes together in this new hybrid way at the time was really unique. That entire album was really unique. And that's just another example, something that kind of sits with me. But, you know, even on a group level, band level, Blink-182, their style of um, California punk rock had been around for decades but then layering in the more you know pop sensibilities on top of it and going more pop with it that was something new no one there was never really a band that was quite like blink 182 until blink 182 happened i'm not even a big blink 182 fan but i I remember thinking when i was like 13 i'm like why are these guys so popular And i'm like oh okay they're taking that like kind of california punk scene and commercializing it as far as how they set up their melodies, how they set up their chord structures, how they make their productions more polished, all that stuff. In the business world, you know, pretty much every major company follows this model, whether it's Uber, Airbnb. It's like they're all offering services you already know about, whether it's through taxis, hotels, etc. But they're approaching it in a different way. I mean, when you get into the business details of it it's a whole different beast in itself but just on a real basic level people are familiar with these types of things staying in houses getting cabs etc staying in hotels but they just flipped it and rebranded it and uh created something brand new so that might be a lazy example um it was the only one i can think of mid rent all right airbnb and uber uh, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of harp on that, kind of just talk about why Stranger Things is successful, what principles about it are unique. Um, I think a lot of this stuff is fair, you know, not the most uh, revealing of all time, but just might give you an idea of how to approach if you wanted to start your own thing, whether it's your own music project, your own band, your own business even, like... Just this idea of offering something new that is familiar to me is a big concept of how I kind of evaluate everything. And to me, it's one of the few uh, principles or whatever you want to call it that to me translate when it comes to art, when it comes to culture, when it comes to business, when it comes to technology, anything. It fits into anything. And it's something that really when you talk about like the intersectional relationships to me that's like one of the keys is this idea of how people are comfortable when it comes to consuming something new with this hint of familiarity 
you know, what's attracting them is the newness, but what keeps them there is the familiarity. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Don't want to go too deep with it today as far as covering all kinds of news and tidbits. Um, I've been talking more about work-based content in the past couple episodes, more like practical stuff for landing a new job. This one is a little different, a little more philosophical, if you will, a little more uh, ideological. But I think it's good to mix it up, you know, mix it up every now and then. So that's it. Um, Hope you guys liked it. Hope it might have just crystallized something you already knew, maybe a little more, hopefully. Maybe not. Who knows? But, yeah, if you have any questions, hit us up at NRS underscore show. Um, That's on Instagram and Twitter. Or if you have a question, email us at notrocketscienceshow at gmail.com. And we will be sure to get back to you. Awesome. All right. So that is it. Love you guys. I will see you next week. Hope you guys have a great week ahead. And until next time, peace.